have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Well, aloha and welcome to the believer's journey again another week. And it's been really nice. It's been fun. And uh, I'm glad you're joining us today. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about developing a lifestyle of generosity. And with us today, we have Royce Smith. Uh, Royce was uh, basically, um, he was like my pastor uh, at uh, Community Bible Church. And uh, Royce, and that hello. was a full-time job all yeah. by itself. <laughs> <laughs> so, hello, how are you doing today? Fantastic. Glad to be here. <laughs> Anyway, um, Royce here. Let me tell you a little bit about Royce. He, uh, he actually served uh, the past five years at Community Bible Church in San Antonio, Texas. And he was, they, basically the last uh, job I think he had, he was a senior adult pastor and he was an adult pastor. But I know for a fact he wore like four or five hats <laughs> at one time. So he was, I think, uh, hired on to be the education pastor. And when we changed pastors, that all changed. Tell us about that. Yeah, just I got hired into a transitional time without knowing it and went from leading the adult discipleship department for the first three years into becoming senior adult pastor uh, the last two years I was there. So it was a, it was a lot of transition, but that's it was a lot of fun. I, God stretched me and grew me in lots of ways that I had no idea were coming. It was really interesting because uh, I have to let you know that uh, everybody in as a, as a believer, needs a go-to person, needs a person who's a mentor, who's a person who could, they can share, who can uh, pray for them. And Royce has been my go-to person. Mm. Of course, once he started wearing all these different hats, it was really difficult. <laughs> it was really difficult. Hard to find me. Yeah. yeah. So, and every once in a while when I could grab him, he would actually uh, substitute for my class. And then give me a hard time about it. So, uh, anyway, I have to tell you that uh, Royce uh, he went to the Dallas uh, Theological Seminary and got his master's and his doctorate degree there. Um, this is probably why I go to him because I figure he's got to be pretty smart. <laughs> I just kept paying tuition until they gave me a degree, buddy. That's it. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know exactly how that. As long that as is. the checks don't bounce, they'll let you stay there as long as you want. But Royce is also a fourth generation Texan. Mm-hmm. And uh, what part of Texas? Mostly here in San Antonio. My family were in farming and ranching on both sides, mom's and dad's side. And then I was born down on the Riverwalk at the Nix Hospital. So Tommy Lee Jones was born there and Carol Burnett and a couple other cool people. So I'm kind of happy to be able oh. to, to be in that spot. Wow. Yeah. So you worked on farming and ranching. Yeah. My family's, yeah, generationally came into that too. So, so I should have called you when we moved. <laughs> You got all the we muscles. We have trailers and muscles. That's right. We can haul things. Yes. <laughs> well, I have a I have a uh, hay bales and couches. I have a girl that's in my um, in my Bible study class. Uh, anyway, she came and helped us, and she's picking up boxes. Of course, I have a, a bicep that's almost ninety percent gone, mm. <clears throat> so I can't pick up more than twenty pounds, or I'll lose it all. So she comes and she's picking up these boxes that are like almost, she goes, oh, this is about 100 pounds. I'm like, number one, how can you tell? Number two, how are you doing this? Oh, I was raised on a farm. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And it's really funny. Build muscle. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, um, Royce Royce is really interesting. I I have to tell you, I I love you. I think you're one of the best people I know on the planet. And it is more than an honor to have you. I say it to everybody, it's an honor to have you. But sure. I, I sincerely, with all my heart, oh, thank you. of course, you were supposed to be here last May. 
I, this, I knew there might be a transition coming in my life, so I was trying to be subtle and hold off on that just in case that things happened. Yeah. Yeah, and that's fine. We're, we're doing good. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you um, out there, my audience, and my audience, by the way, it goes it's heavy into Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. I have at least about 5,000 people or more that watch this every week in, in Eastern Europe. Fantastic. I have Some a, friends from Moldova? I have about yeah. 800 people that regularly Great. watch it, 700 to 800 that watch it from Moldova. You and I have both been there. That's awesome. Yeah. Great. I was supposed to be, actually, I was supposed to be there in December, mm-hmm. but... I figured if there's nothing for me to do there, they're locked down. Right. There's nothing to do. But I have a large audience in the Ukraine. Fantastic. You know, a few hundred people. Mm-hmm. And I have a whole lot in Russia. Now, that where that comes from blew my mind. It's like, how and why in the world are people mm-hmm. watching me? Where do they come from to watch me from Russia? But if you know Moldova <clears throat> and Ukraine, mm-hmm. half of the people there have families who right. come from Russia. Right. So I'm sure it's being shared up there. Mm-hmm. So I have a couple mm-hmm. thousand or a few thousand people from Russia that watch the show. Fantastic. It's amazing. There's a hunger. It, it really, there really is. Mm-hmm. And it's an area where, you know, because of the Orthodox Church there, it's stifled to really express your, your life in Christ. Mm-hmm. And, um, and actually, a really neat thing, you'll, you'll appreciate this. Especially since you go there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I've been there once, but I plan to go back, yes. We're wanting you to go back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, um, what's really interesting is that when I went to talk to a group at, uh, at a high school, and you can, you can go actually speak at the public schools there mm-hmm. about Jesus. This mm-hmm. is really nice. But anyway, the first time I did that, I mentioned about, you know, uh, serving Jesus and loving God and all this. I, afterwards, I was pulled aside. No, 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 that's not how you say it. I go, well, what do you mean? You really need to say following the teachings of Jesus mm-hmm. or following the teachings because everybody loves God here. Everybody knows, thinks that mm-hmm. Christian is, is, you know, you go to church twice a year and that's good and handy and dandy. Mm-hmm. Well, I understand that because you have a lot of people that do that here. We do that in America too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but, the, but we understand over here. Even though we don't do it, there's a lot of people who understand it's about following the teachings. And mm-hmm. they didn't understand that there. So it changed my whole mm-hmm. perspective on my teaching, not only mm-hmm. there, but it changed it here. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people here that don't get it either. Yeah, we, we all know the Great Commission from Matthew 28, 18 to 20, but the, the tail end of that where it talks about and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, that somehow gets forgotten when we yeah. actually talk about things. Well, you know, and I did a, a little short, it's like an eight-minute video on the word believe. Um, believe in the, in the Greek... Pistuo is what we the, the word we translate, and you've had Greek, I'm sure, and in in Hebrew, aman, amahaman, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, uh, is also translated to the word believe. But those two words in the Greek and the Hebrew are nothing like the languages of today, because and I know that I thought that only in English, but when I was in when I was in Moldova. Um, I was teaching this, that it's an active verb, that you actually act upon what's being taught to you mm-hmm. or revealed to you, mm-hmm. that you follow like a teaching. And this girl stood up really quick. She went to her library, got her book out, and got other things out to look it up in, their, in Russian and in Romanian. And she goes, you're right. And it's like this in here. And I says, well, that's the way it is in the Greek. We mm-hmm. just don't read it that mm-hmm. way because we don't get taught that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And traditionally, we don't have the teachers that are out there really teaching that Greek stuff, especially when it has those differences. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? On faith, yeah, I mean, the the difference between a mental ascent versus a truly putting your full trust in 
and making all the lifestyle changes that come with it. That's what that's what faith really is. Yeah. So, but anyway, it's, it's been kind of a, a really interesting ordeal with me going to Moldova because I've learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot. So, anyway, um, I have to let everybody know here that Royce, he just mentioned there's a transition. He has been hired to be the pastor, the lead pastor at a place called the Fellowship of San Antonio. It's a church in San Antonio. It's on the north side. If you're from San Antonio or nearby, it's on the north side of um, Stone Oak. Oak. And so um, I think was a a group from um, Trinity Baptist. Trinity Baptist. Buckner Fanning. Now Mike Fanning and uh, Mike is still on staff. Yeah. Okay. Is he going to remain on staff? Yes, he is. Is Ron Ron, Ron is he's going to preach his last sermon this Sunday. We're very excited. Fifty-two years of ministry for him. Fantastic career. Well, he yeah. was my, um, when I was a single at mm-hmm. Trinity Baptist, he was my pastor yes. there. Yes. I think there were a couple thousand people that knew him as a sing- <laughs> singles pastor, yeah. A lot of In fact, I was looking at the website, and I'm looking at this website picture, and I go, that looks like it's 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all going to do that as we get older. We'll, we'll cheat and use our earlier oh, pictures. I yeah. <laughs> well, I can't do that. Well, I can't do that 30 years because I look really different. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some of your early pictures. That's right. With the, with the mustache and the beard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, for a lot of you don't, that don't know, uh, in my my perception, um, and what I'm looking at, because I'm I'm looking to get my doctorate mm-hmm. now. Um, so, Liberty University is mm-hmm. where I'm looking at. But what's interesting is, as I've looked in the past about furthering my education, I always thought like, and this is not really it's supposed to be a commercial, but I think Fuller Seminary was the top. Mm-hmm. I think the second or third I looked at Dallas. So so the seminary you went to is really prestigious. It, it is. I it, was very blessed. Yeah. In terms of uh, when you're looking at a Christian world and Christian, the uh, person who can actually teach you has probably learned very well. Mm-hmm. You know, I think what, what my schools taught me was, wasn't as much as I went away with it for everything, mm-hmm. but it taught me how to study. Right. So If the Bible's true, we should honor it and make sure we're reflecting correctly what it says like you said just every little nuance of every word it's important yeah, yeah. now you were hired on as the um, education pastor for mm-hmm. community bible so what does that mean what do, how, why would they hire you as an education pastor um, i think a lot of it probably had to do with the with the seminary background uh, the pastor who hired me had also spent some time there as a student so he understood what that meant and just uh, it's a school that really teaches you to that the word of god is true we believe it's inspired it's without error and teaches you the skills of the Hebrew and the Greek and how to truly interpret the Bible the way it was originally intended in the audience, and then how to make that relevant and applicable to today. So just that whole high commitment. People like my Chuck Swindoll went to school there, David mm-hmm. Jeremiah, uh, Tony Evans, Chip Ingram, Andy Stanley. So they've got some pretty, uh, even, even Louis Giglio uh, are all graduates of the school. So I'm not in that category. I'm way down below, but just knowing that they do a great job of really preparing people to, to, to honor and teach the Bible well. So... Great place. I mean, I, I didn't even know those people existed when I first came as a student. I was just happy to be there. I heard one pastor uh, who had graduated from there preaching at a college seminar uh, for Campus Crusade back when I was still in college, and I had felt called to ministry. And I felt if that's if that's where, where you if, if I can learn to preach like that, that's where I want to go. So I found out where he went to school, went and enrolled, and the rest is history. Now um, I know this, um, and I'm going to share this. Uh, you actually planted and started two churches mm-hmm. before you came to CBC. Mm-hmm. Talk about it. Yeah, I really felt um, I'm wired as an entrepreneur. I like to take things and see them grow and start and build and that sort of thing. So 
uh, I was in seminary and I was looking through the class catalog of options to take as I was going to be staying there during the winter session one time and, and they had a class called church planting and I thought, hmm, I wonder what that means. It had never occurred to me that every church has to start somewhere. I just figured I would graduate and get a job in a church, but the idea that you could actually start a church from scratch just made all the lights and bells and whistles go off in my mind. And so I took the class. It was a two-week, kind of an intensive, all-day-long winter class. And everything inside of me just exploded with, this is me, this is exactly who God made me to be. And so finished up school, went ahead and planted a church out in the southeast side of San Antonio, kind of on the Adkins area, Barrett County area, and learned a lot of things. I was only 27, so I was full of zest and zeal and good ideas, but I had a lot of things I didn't have maturity for and just had to learn a lot of things the hard way. Um, and did that for about 10 and a half years. Uh, got fired because I had some issues I hadn't worked through yet that, that ended up kind of keeping me from being a great leader. And God had to just take me apart and rebuild me, which was a great experience. I can see that now. At the time, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it at all. But then planted the second church a little bit later. Uh, it's almost my, my redemption, if you will, to make sure I could really be a pastor the way God wanted me to be. And then felt called to step away from that. And that's when I came to CBC. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a great life. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for all the scars, for all the painful learning experiences. Not thankful in the moment, but thankful later, reflecting back on it. Uh, that God's really made me into a whole different person. And I feel like at the age, I'm, I'll, be, I'll be 50 uh, in about another five weeks, and I feel like I'm just now starting to learn how to be a pastor. So wow. if you would have told me that at 27, I would say, oh, I got this all figured out. You know, uh, <laughs> Now a lot more humility. I think, I, I think I'm starting to figure out how to do this. So. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, and, um, and I've met your family, and, and it's funny because um, Royce had a – uh, when he had his office at Community Bible Church, I would call in. I was always talk to his secretary. Now, his secretary is named Kathy Smith. Mm-hmm. So I would say, "Hello, Mrs. Smith." Is <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Smith there, Pastor Smith? And I think about the third or fourth time she would say, "You know, I'm not her, hus- her, her his wife." I'd say, oh, I know that. Well, <laughs> we had quite a few people ask, "Is that your wife?" Yeah, that was kind of unnaturally. There are a lot more Smiths in the world than just the two of us. Yeah. Oh, she's a great human being. Really appreciate her. Now, um, I know a little bit about one of your daughters, mm-hmm. Emily, mm-hmm. and she's amazing. Mm-hmm. I have she to tell is. you, she is. Uh, any guy is going to be totally, absolutely lucky if they get past me, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she helps oh, out at all the events that you does. go to. She, just, she does. She gives her time. She's she truly people. a servant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just the epitome of what a Christian is. Yeah. I, I see it. I, we, like, we, like, we like to joke in our family. I actually met my wife in seminary, so we both are graduates of Dallas Seminary, and both of our girls have worked at Chick fil A. It's like we are the perfect Christian family. <laughs> we have two people from seminary, two kids who worked at Chick fil A. How much better could it be? Teasing. But uh, yeah, Emily just turned 16, and she's in a private Christian school, San Antonio Christian School here in town where my wife also works. And Emily just has a heart for people, for missions. She's actually been to Peru twice on mission trips. The first time with me, the second time without me. She didn't need me anymore for that and would have gone again this summer had it not been for COVID grounding all the planes. And so she's really looking forward, hopefully, to going back next summer again. And I can see her probably going into some kind of you know, Christian business, Christian social work, something. She just has a real missionary heart, and I love seeing that in her. And uh, my oldest daughter, Rachel, is uh, she's a sophomore at Abilene Christian which is where Max Lucado went to college, actually. I actually have a little, in the student section, they have a whole section dedicated to all of Max's best-selling books. You know, So the idea <laughs> is if you come to school here, you can be the next Max Lucado. But uh, Rachel's going to be a pediatric nurse. That's what she feels called to. And now, even lately, she's been reading some, uh, some really convicting missionary books, uh, and she really feels like she might want to be a medical missionary nurse, which is phenomenal, just oh, to wow. think of it. David Platt is what I'm thinking of. 
he's written some really convicting books about what does it mean to really be all out for Christ and give your life away for Christ and go to the places that aren't reached in a missions context. So she's been really challenged by that, and it's kind of shaken up her world a little bit from maybe having a job here to maybe God's going to send me anywhere. And I'm just I'm just beyond thrilled to see where God leads her with all that. Just the fact that she's willing to be open to the idea of going to a, to a very difficult place to, to serve uh, the, the least of these with little children that need to be loved and cared for. Great thing for Rachel. Her heart for that came out of her own experience. Many years ago, she had a medical thing happen uh, where she was in, in the PICU unit for about seven days. She had some internal uh, bleeding things. And the people that took care of her at the time, the nurses, actually one was, was married to a missionary and another one was from our church at the time. And so she was so loved and cared for by those nurses. She said, Dad, I want to do that for people. That's where she got her calling was going through almost a near-death experience of her own to realize there are people who can love you and make you feel safe and care for you, and I want to be one of those kind of people. So what a great thing to see. I mean, out of her own almost tragedy, she ended up getting her calling for life, and uh, who knows where God's going to take these girls. But we feel like we're raising missionaries. We don't feel like we're raising kids or daughters. These are these are truly, we, we look at that as we're trying to launch missionaries into the world. So blessed is the man whose quiver is full of arrows, and we're going to hopefully launch those arrows uh, to whatever target God's pointing them toward. It's incredible. You know, it's a real blessing because, you know, I mean, I've when you've been around the church or pastors and families long enough, you know, you, you see there's, and you hear the adage, you know, oh, he's a PK and mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. a hellion and all these problems. <laughs> and But to see a family where the kids are actually serving the Lord mm-hmm. and loving God and, mm-hmm. and doing, you know, living his will. I mean, my pastor, like that, my surrogate pastor, Lon Ekdahl, his four kids are amazing, and yeah. and um, my wife deserves a lot more credit on that than I do. She's been a phenomenal, sacrificial mother for them. And well, I think you both great, have so. that. You both Thank do. You. When I uh, we're blessed. When I was when I started living with Lon as a as an older teenager, I mean, I had no real idea what a home was like, and mm-hmm. they had dinner together and prayed together. Mm-hmm. The family went in. The parents would go into their kids' room at night and pray with them mm-hmm. and talk to them and. And it's like, wow, what a difference! You know how really it is, and this is probably why the 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 examples that they did. I'm sure it's the examples you and Tracy have that show your kids what it is to be to become what they are in serving the Lord and honoring you. They've made a lot of great choices on their own with their with their friendships and the people that they've chosen to be around. So much of that, I think, uh, Andy Stanley said years ago, "Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future." And so they've been really wise about who they've chosen to, to spend their time with and invest with. And they've got both of them have a great little network of, of great kids, too. So we're really happy. That's so yeah. nice. That's so good. So tell us tell us a little bit about this church. I mean, I know you haven't really started in full-time mm-hmm. both feet, you know, but in, in a way you are both feet in. I know you anyway. Um, so tell us about the church you're going to and, and what what we would expect if we decided or anybody has decided to mm-hmm. attend there what are yeah. going to see yeah fellowship uh, of san antonio came out of uh, came out of some people from trinity many years ago after buckner fanning had retired and they uh, met in a few homes met in a few other locations and then eventually bought some land on the very tip top kind of the top of the roof of stone oak out there uh right near the canyon springs golf course at that intersection and so they are uh, about 17 and a half years old now as a church, they're kind of a teenager church as they call it, but uh, what a wonderful group of people and so kind. You, you just feel love when you're inside and they, they've had a real heart. Um, the word fellowship, they, as they described to me, is that that's who we are. We really want to care for people deeply, know people deeply, 
uh, love people that are very good praying church. There's needs come up, and there are lots of people praying for things right away throughout the day. Uh, so you see a lot of great things like that. So, um, yeah, I'll be I'll be starting October third and fourth weekend. Will be my first official full weekend to preach there as the pastor. And one of the things we're we're trying to do is just to reach out more to the community. So we're I'm going to offer two more worship services on top of the one we have. So there'll be a Saturday at five worship service, kind of contemporary music. Uh, Sunday at nine thirty will be a blended service, which is what we have now. We have one of the finest piano players in the city. He's a virtuoso, uh, Michael Sanford, phenomenal player. He, he plays without sheet music. He just hears it in his head and plays. It's amazing. Uh, and he's responsible for Christmas and Easter pageants that are phenomenal too. So great gift to our staff. And then uh, we'll do an 11 o'clock contemporary service also. So we're opening up some more options for people because of work schedules or, or convenience or whatever. Uh, musical preferences. There'll be three different options of how they can come and choose to worship. And then we're really putting an emphasis on on outreach to do a lot more volunteering. We have a team going actually tonight to Church Under the Bridge, we call it Cub, and to, to cook and feed the homeless, which is a beautiful ministry I used to be with, partner with at CBC as well. And so we're looking at just doing a lot more local service projects with uh, Children's Hunger Fund, Daily Bread, other places that we want to partner with. And and then obviously a bigger push into international missions. That's part of my heart, and I know yours too, with Moldova and other places that we uh, we are supporting missionaries. And I specifically want to see us support missionaries who are on the edges that are going to places no one else has gone. Like Paul said, I don't want to build on someone else's foundation. Let me take the gospel someplace that hasn't gone yet. So we're really looking for those pioneering kind of missionaries who are going to the places that haven't been reached yet uh, to make sure we share the gospel. So there's going to be a great emphasis on a lot of that too going forward. And uh, couldn't be happier. It's just it's there's there's so much wonderful people already there and the potential is incredible it's a beautiful campus we have a one mile walking trail up through the beautiful trees on the side of a hill it's just really beautiful there and lots of gorgeous uh, flower gardens and, and landscapings waterfall all kinds of things it's just it's a great place to just go take a walk just to take a prayer walk or enjoy nature it's on a huge land piece yeah, of land 40 yeah. acres yeah it's incredible yeah, 40 acres yeah. wow because i knew i saw a lot of, I, when i drive by there's yeah. a lot of land there it's just not mm-hmm. touched really yeah. And we're doing our best to keep. We actually have our own private deer herd there, and uh, <laughs> lots of squirrels. It's just great. We, we, we there's a lot of guys just start whimpering when they see the bucks walk out with these beautiful antlers, and they just no, can't touch them. <laughs> all these Texas guys want to bring the bow hunting and the rifles, and no, 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 this is all protected. But just and we get you know walk right up to the building and, and eat the grass right outside the windows of your office. Like this is incredible. I feel like I'm working in the Garden of Eden over there. It's just wow. beautiful. Yeah. Now you also have. I know. I know you're kind of connected and not connected. There's a school there as well. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a school that's named after Buckner. Fanning, so it's the Buckner Fanning School at Mission Spring, okay. and they are a wonderful K through eight school. They have a, their principal is, is a phenomenal lady who's who'd retired from I believe Northeast ISD. Great skill set, great education, great uh, respect, respectability. She's hired lots of people that she knew were her top teachers once they kind of retired from there. So we have a really strong veteran group of teachers there, and just incredible. So it's a strong K through eight school, private Christian education, very affordable. And uh, there's openings there. If anybody's looking for a great place with small classroom sizes, they actually have in-person instruction, or the kids can do um, from home instruction as well if they want to do that. Yeah, tremendous. So if somebody wanted to attend your church, say, this next week or two weeks mm-hmm. or so forth, and you ha- we have this coronavirus situation, how are you set up? Great so- question, yeah. We are doing everything we can to be safe. So we have our uh, every other row in the sanctuary has been removed. So we have you can almost drive a golf cart between the rows of chairs, so it's very safe six feet a distance then we ask everyone to wear a mask and we also have one of the sanitizing machines that kind of puts out the fine mist spray of, of the antibacterial spray so antiviral spray sorry uh, and so everything's been thoroughly cleaned to commercial quality everywhere classrooms everything so we do everything we can to encourage wear your mask social distance and we do the, the cleaning before every service so we've done everything we can 
many churches are, are meeting back and many aren't, so we're one of the ones that has chosen to be meeting for about the last two months we've been in person uh, through this, just being very careful, and God's been good to us. No, Nobody's been sick, so it's a very safe place to come to if you feel like I need to come into the, you know, into the presence of God with other people and do that, so it's, it's a great place to do it. Or we have it online as well through Facebook and YouTube. Okay. Now you don't yell, scream, and spit. I do not. Okay, Never so have. <laughs> Only at you. <laughs> so you won't have to worry about wearing a mask. <laughs> okay. yeah, I'm about 30 feet away from the front row, so you'll be safe. Oh, there, there's a church in town where it's pretty well known. There's a pastor, oh. a former pastor, and he yelled, we would call it in front of where, where the front of the the pulpit, the, the splash zone. The splash zone. That's awful. That's a bad. It's a bad I'm mental picture. I'm not the church, but it's a bad mental picture. <laughs> Oh, I'm pretty calm. <laughs> so let's talk about generosity. Okay. I mean, uh, one of the things I have written down here, and it's on my website. By the way, um, if you want to go to the website, you can go to my website, which is thebelieversjourney.net, and go to the guests are, and I have a write-up there, right on uh, Royce. And um, underneath that, will it'll say the Fellowship Church of San Antonio. You can click on there and go right to their website, and you can browse through their website and see um, everything that's there, all what it's about. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, one of the things I wrote on the website, and we've, you and I have talked about it on my website, is that uh, you have a passion toward uh, of the mindset and lifestyle of generosity. Mm-hmm. Okay, give us a little prelude on something like yeah. this. Uh, it's what I actually studied in seminary for my doctorate degree was how to how to do that. So I studied some churches that did a good job of discipling people for that. A lot of pastors are afraid to talk about money because of the scandals that have been out there. Uh, people feel like that's all the church cares about is trying to get my money. And so there's just such a hands-off approach to that. And yet Jesus talked about it a third of the time. If Jesus was your pastor, every third Sunday you would hear him preach about giving if you looked at everything he taught. And so if Jesus thought it was that big of a struggle for us, maybe we should take it seriously too. I'm not saying I'm going to do that, but the idea is if Jesus recognized that either a third of every sermon or every third week, you'd hear him preach about be careful about money or here's how you should use it or here's why it matters. Uh, So I grew up in a family that was generous, and I didn't know it until I kind of got older and could look back and reflect on that. But my my parents, uh, dad would pick up the check for people in a restaurant that he knew that were sitting across the room. He would just have the waiter pick up the check and pay for their meals. Uh, mom would sacrificially take people meals when they needed things. They would volunteer their time, uh, all kinds of activities at our church. So I grew up with parents who were very giving people. In fact, I remember uh, my dad actually has a really cool barbecue pit on a trailer that he would loan out to people that were having you know, birthday parties or wedding receptions where they could take the barbecue pit and cook the food for people. And one time I remember asking him as a teenager, like, Dad, why don't you rent that out? You, you, know, you can make some money doing that because I was wired about making money. And he looked at me like I'd said the weirdest thing in the world, and he said, Son, those are my friends. And man, that got me. My dad didn't look at anything he owned as something that he could use to make money off other people. He looked at it as, those are my friends. And if we have a heart like that, this is, I want to love people and support and sacrifice. So that's what I was raised with. And I didn't even realize it at the time again, but as I get older, I thought, my parents are incredibly generous people. And of course, part of their great uh, story is, is they, they got married. No one had ever discipled them on that either. So they didn't really know what to do with giving to support the church we went to. And so they started with a very, very small amount, but the pastor had just challenged people, hey, could you increase your giving every year? Just just see what you can do. And, make, and so they did. Over the years, they would increase it by a certain percentage amount. And I can't say for sure, but I know they became one of the top generous givers in the entire church just because that was their heart, and it, it reflected itself uh, in how they did things. So that was a blessing for me growing up with that. Um, 
part of my testimony, uh, again, being wired as an entrepreneur, I started a lawn business as soon as I got my driver's license, and I wanted to get, make money doing that. I was a hardworking kid, grew up with this farming and ranching you know, background of work, so um, I was making quite a bit more than the kids that were sacking groceries at HEB for $3 an hour just doing that, and um, that was a big drive in my life was to be somebody who made a lot of money was rich. About halfway through college, um, I was working on a business degree, and I met something that I'd never met before that just broke me, and it was called calculus. I couldn't do it, so I was in my college program. <laughs> my brain would not go to that floor of the elevator. It's not going to happen, so I, I, I couldn't make the high enough grade in there. My GPA wasn't strong, and I had a night, kind of they call it the dark night of the soul. I had to go back to my room and, and say, God, I thought I was going to be a rich businessman. In fact, I would even said, God, if you'll help me make a million dollars a year, I'll give 900000 back to the church, and I'll just live on 100000 um, I still don't make 100000 a day, much less a million. But that was back in 1990, and I thought, you know, 100000 would have been a pretty comfortable living back then. And God laughed at that, you know, offer, of course. And he ended up through that dark night of the soul where I said, God, I give up. I thought this was what I was going to do is be a rich businessman of some sort. Uh, I'll do whatever you want with my life. Just make it clear. And from that night, he had me flipping through the Bible, praying. It's a dangerous thing to do, to ask God, you know, I'll give you everything. Just show me what to do. Flipping through my Bible. And he took me to Ephesians chapter 4. Some are called to be pastors and teachers. Bam. And I mean, again, the lights just went off. I went home and talked to my pastor and said, what do you think about this? And he said, I always knew you were going to be a pastor. You, you come home every weekend from college and teach the junior high Sunday school class. Nobody wants to do that. It's like you're already being a pastor without even realizing it. Um, and then my, my grandmother said, when you were a kid, you may not remember this, but you told me you were going to be a pastor when you grew up. And I had no memory of that. And my mom said, I can see you doing that, you know, absolutely. So the three people that knew me the best, kind of knew my, my spiritual side, all affirmed what God had called me to. So I went from this person who wanted to be a millionaire to somebody that God called to be a pastor. And if, if most pastors, unless you preach a certain kind of prosperity gospel, you're never going to get near a millionaire status, of course. And so, man, he took me from one thought process to a completely different calling in life, and, and what a difference it's made. Well, I know that uh, what you're saying is incredibly true, because I know you. And I know that when you came on board where we are, I know that, you know, uh, what we've talked. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that, you know, to have the humility that you had to have had to accept and be where you are or were as a pastor there... Um, is incredible. Yeah. It's and, interesting what you're saying. I, I did take a small pay cut moving from the churches I had to come work at CBC, and that's no fault of CBC. It was, it was a choice, and I took it. But I remember my grandfather. He was a kind of a German farmer and very, very, you know, um, he had some honest words. He said, uh, I'll respect a pastor when I see him take a smaller church or go to a place with a lower paycheck. Because yeah. he's like, every time a pastor gets called, it's always to a bigger church or a bigger paycheck. And he said, I'll respect a pastor. And so my grandfather already passed away by then. But I thought, gotcha, Grandpa. It happened. <laughs> Somebody's taking a step. And, and it, was, it was where God needed me to be. And it was, it was a good thing. And they, they were a blessing to us. Well, it's like I, I think I said this on this show oh, several shows ago. Uh, Lon Ekdahl, the pastor that I admire and I grew up with and who basically is like my dad, I had mentioned that I thought he was probably the most successful pastor I've ever known. Of course, he never had a 5,000-member, mm -hmm. 10, 20,000-member mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. and it was more like two or 300 or, mm -hmm. you know, or less. And I remember when we went to Maui, he had 30 people. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't about how big the numbers or big the money was. It was, it was the humility and, and, and all the, the what mm -hmm. he did, wearing the several hats, mm -hmm. taking this, in fact... He was in a church that was growing by leaps and bounds. They built this big, 
new building. They, they hired him when there was hardly anybody there. They said, is, when you start bringing in people, we're going to give you a commission on the people. He got oh, to, gosh. He, he got to bring so many people, and they said, we need to rethink this. <laughs> it cost him too much, right? But then when, when he got offered this position on Maui, you know, it was 30 people. Well, but it was Maui. <laughs> that might have been yeah, there you go. Well, he didn't want to go, and it was all about. Oh. It was all about. Well, I don't want to do this. And, I, and the, the I guess it was the district superintendent or somebody on, in, in Hawaii said, "Well, will you pray about it?" And he said, "Yes, I will." You know, and so and, and Lon always does what he says, and so the, and he has a book out to God be the glory, uh-huh. and he gives this story about this uh-huh. church. Uh-huh. And how he went to pray for about it, and he says, "Okay, I'll I'll give you a fleece, Lord." You know, he had this RV. He went to sell. And he said, and it's in the winter time. He didn't clean it up, mm-hmm. and he, in winter time RVs don't sell. So he put it out for sale, and within the week, somebody came and paid cash for it. Wow! So you talk about, it, and he's like, "Okay, God, you have my attention, <laughs> right?" So, and he took the church. So it's just amazing when when I look at what I think a pastor is who's successful. It isn't the guy who's got the thirty million dollar mansion and his his bank account is you know a million dollars or whatever. It's the guy who's really serving God in all humility. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and, and help, help help make heaven crowded. I like that phrase. Let's make heaven crowded. You know. <laughs> well, and that's how I see you. Yeah, and it is how I see you. I, I know that. When you came here, I, I know that the position you came and the positions you weren't doing, the position you weren't doing because you were doing all these other ones. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember you came to me as well. I just put on another hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And churches, you know, churches have lifestyle uh, life cycles where they have to constrict and expand. And it, yeah. I just happened to be in, a, in an interesting part of that life cycle where I had to do a yeah. lot for a season. But yeah. So, so. Um, to all of you who, who are looking for a church, I mean, I really do recommend that you uh, try out uh, on the 1st of October, first week of October. Uh, yeah, third and fourth weekend. Third yeah. and fourth weekend. Try out the, the Fellowship of San Antonio because um, I think you'll find that Royce is an amazing man, amazing pastor, an amazing servant of God. When do I hand you the cash? <laughs> <laughs> I brought a lot. You told me to bring in a whole pocket full, so <laughs> I've got it. Anyway, oh. I, have a, I have a definition. We're going to get on to this topic okay. of generosity. And I have a definition that not only did I, I, I found this definition, then I kind of took it apart and took things out of it and I added what I wanted to. And so I'm going to read this mm-hmm. definition of what I think generosity is. Generosity is the spirit and action of freely giving to others. Generosity refers to an overall spirit of kindness. Once uh, one can be generous with money, possessions, time, grace, and action. Mm. That's pretty comprehensive. I like it. You like that? Yeah. Since you did your doctoral. Yeah. <laughs> I just need to go back and edit my paper now and put that instead. That's good. So, so I, because I thought about generosity and, and I did this show, my second show was on stewardship and the person who did it, um, Gutierrez, uh, Andres Gutierrez, He's all about money because he does the uh, Dave Ramsey thing. Right. But my my thinking of stewardship isn't about money. It's about life. It's about your mm-hmm. lifestyle. And I'm looking at generosity in the same respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a actually there's a lot of scriptures about being generous mm-hmm. to foreigners, generous to the brother and sister, mm-hmm. and you know a lot mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. And um, so when you talk about generosity, and uh, it's more than just. Uh, 
doing something that's generous. What I'm hearing you say, it's, it's a lifestyle and it's a mindset. Mm-hmm. Explain that. Yeah. Tagging onto that stewardship idea, we, we know the Bible's really clear that, that God owns it all and, and we are just caretakers or stewards of what he's entrusted to us uh, from the first time when he told Adam and Eve, this is yours, take care of it, you know, do well. We have seen um, in, in the American Christian church a just a we have, we have bought into a lie of this consumeristic mentality and materialism so badly that the average Christian gives two hundred dollars a year to the church. That's all, two hundred dollars. Uh, if it weren't for a very large, about I think there's about five percent of people that end up giving sixty percent of all giving to churches. Just five percent are, are very generous givers that do that, and most people give about two tenths of a percent or a half of a percent after taxes. It's just it's just laughably sad. Um, that we have bought into a, I have to have all these things because all the commercials keep telling me that, all the movie announcements, the newspapers, everything, that uh, the idea of, of blessing others, of, of being generous to others first, is, is just completely forgotten. And so we have a God who tells us we have a mission to reach and disciple everybody on the planet. That should pretty much be my number one financial decision each month is how much can I give away of my income to help make that mission come true because that's what Jesus was about. At the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he talks about it, and at the beginning of Acts 1-8, be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He was really clear five times at the end of each gospel and start of Acts. This is what we're here for, uh, and you'll never, almost never find a Christian who would, who would budget their, their, their giving, their time, almost anything to say, how do I make that first in my life? How is Jesus preeminent first? Instead, we have all our other bills that we've chosen to put on ourselves, and we live our lives trying to keep up with things and buy the newest gadgets and all that. So it's just such a, we really have to do a much better job of, of educating our churches to say, this is what life's about. Jesus wants everyone to know life to the fullest, John 10, 10. And, and that means everyone around the whole world. And so who hasn't heard this yet? Who do we need to reach yet? And, I mean, missions should be the, I would say missions should be the biggest item in any church's budget. It's just automatically, if that's true, if the Great Commission's true, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, why is missions not the largest part of our budget? Instead, for a lot of churches, it's paying off a building, paying staff, and all sorts of other things. Uh, my research showed me that only 2% on average of churches' budgets actually go to anything outside the church itself towards missions. So we have 100% to give away in a nonprofit organization like the church. Only 2% of it makes it out. If you were to compare that to any other nonprofit that's doing something good in the world, why would you ever give your money to a church? Because I could look at other nonprofits and say, we only keep 5 to 10% for administrative expenses, and everything else you give us goes to the mission of what we're here for. Most churches, we give only 2% away. You'd say, that's, that's criminal. How could you do that? Yeah. And so it broke my heart when I started looking at this, and, and there's so much we can do to help re-educate and hopefully re-inspire the church to come back to the original mission of, why did God put us here? Why are we still here? What does he want us to do? And from my time, my heart, my money, everything, how do I give generously to make sure that all happens? I mean, he's entrusted us to something, and we've really been really bad stewards, honestly. And actually, Susan and I, I think probably out of all of our bills, our, our biggest bill goes to missions. Mm-hmm. You, know? you get it. Yeah. You get it. You've been there. Part of it is if you take a missions trip, now you know someone. You have a yeah. face. You have a family. You follow them on Facebook. Uh, when I was in Moldova for the for the my only time, my first and only time so far, uh, just getting to drive around with some of the missionaries and see their apartments they lived in. I thought my wife and I started with a very modest, sad little first house when we first got married. Uh, you could have put this person's entire house into the smallest room of our small house we had, just to see the difference. Walking yeah. up several flights of stairs in a building that has no elevator with the baby carrier. And uh, the kitchen was, you could barely turn around without bumping each other. Just the, <laughs> you know, the simplicity of that. 
and one room. That's it. There's a kitchen, a bathroom, and a room, and that's it. And it's just crammed in with neighbors everywhere. To see some of that and realize, oh, my goodness, these people are living, and this is a pastor of the church. Yeah. And, and they're making these incredible sacrifices. When I see that, and he talks to me about our babies growing, uh, and we don't we don't have the money to put her in a safe car seat. And I said, "Where do you buy car seats here?" And we went to their version of Walmart. I forget the name of it, but we drove in a snowstorm, Metro. something like I think it was Metro. You're right, Metro. Yeah. And we went there. He was so uncomfortable. He felt guilty that he'd even mentioned it because they're so unused to having. I said, "Please, my family wants to do this for you." I was there in November. I said, "This is our Christmas present to you. Let me do this." And, and just bought a car seat, and he was just so overwhelmed with, with appreciation for the simplest thing. And I'm thinking, I've got two kids at home that had to go through car seats. I don't want you driving around in snowy conditions with your child not in a safe seat. This is just what you do. So by having that exposure in the relationship, it makes it so much easier to give it away. Yeah. yeah. And if I told that story to my daughters, he would have said, yeah, Dad, give him the money you would have spent on us for Christmas instead because we want to do that. And now I follow him on Facebook, and every cute picture of that daughter as she grows up, I'm just cheering you know, for their family. That's great. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think we support, I think five missionaries over yeah. there, uh, and there's so many of them. Yeah. I mean, just in Campus Crusade, Campus sure. Crusade alone, I think over in Moldova there's like seventy on staff. Yeah. I mean, that mm-hmm. part of it, so that would be in family terms, there'll probably be thirty-five to forty families. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then you have KBC Ministries, and mm-hmm. uh, we started giving to one of the. Um, the youth pastor there mm-hmm. because the pastor uh, Eugene mm-hmm. uh, who's also the president of the, the Bible seminary yeah, he's a friend yeah. I had gone to them one time because I felt like I wanted to help out with their ministry mm-hmm. and we had money to do so and so he said well if you're going to do anything give to this one particular guy because yeah. he's they're not making enough he's not bringing yeah. enough money yes. and I don't want to lose him because mm-hmm. he is really effective mm-hmm. so we started giving to him mm-hmm. and his wife and and they live in this little bitty house, and we go to dinner, and she serves us this chili or soup, and she apologizes. Mm-hmm. It's really fine. It's delicious yeah, and great, it's yeah. great, yeah. yeah. They can cook really well over there. <laughs> but, it's, but, you know, it it's really is amazing because the, the, it's that they do real ministry. Mm-hmm. I think that's what has me, Bryce, is that it's not like I see a lot of guys here, a lot of churches here, a lot of pastors here, and they throw money away. I mean, literally, they really do. I mean, the churches that throw away the thousands of dollars to make it look pretty with a banner or whatever it is they do, and to look over there and see that they struggle. And they're, mm-hmm. and, and these families, you have to understand that these families, especially in Eastern Europe, probably in Peru and Uganda, all these places, the money they have barely feeds them and gets them mm-hmm. by. And mm-hmm. then they'll have somebody who's living down the hall, down the street, mm-hmm. who doesn't even have that. Yes. And they'll take the money that they are mm-hmm. struggling with mm-hmm. and they'll buy them food or give it to them. Mm-hmm. And this is what I consider what you're talking about as far as generosity. It's more than just giving the fat of the, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, the easy part. The yeah. easy part. Mm-hmm. It's giving what really comes mm-hmm. out and mm-hmm. hurts. Yeah. Yeah, there's a sense... Um, listen to some pastors talk about this and they, a great little expression that they, they talked about I was going to share with you that said uh, just a simple formula of give first because it honors God save second because it builds wealth the book of Proverbs talks about that a lot and live on the rest because it teaches contentment so simple and there's no numbers in there it's, it's what God lays on your heart to do but just give first yeah. that's the principle save second live on the rest and so jumping into a, one of the sometimes debates of well, how much are we supposed to give and that sort of thing? If, if you start with that question, you've already lost. It's not, it's not a legalistic number. It's truly 
uh, the Old Testament, you had a theocratic society where everything was not just the church but the state put together where God's the king, at least for part of it. And, and with, the, with the law, the idea of tithing or 10% of your income, that was, that was a command of God for the Old Testament Jewish people to do. By the time you get to the New Testament, you don't see that phrase. Jesus does speak about it to the Pharisees who are still living under the law uh, and rebukes them because their heart's in the wrong place about it. But when he talks, when Paul talks about giving, it's always about this word generosity. And it's like tithing is training wheels. It's, it's where you, you should start with that. But then generosity is how much more can I give? The question right. is never what do I got to give? It's how much more could I give? And so seeing that picture of, of a heart that says, this is, this is the sacrifice I want to make. Like you said, it's, for some people, 10% is a joke. That's easy for them because of what they make. For others, 10% is going to be a huge stretch of faith. So forget the percentage and talk about what feels generous to me. And, mm-hmm. and we, we can see that our, our maturity grow as we grow as a Christian in other ways, as we learn the Bible more and learn to share our faith and pray differently. Our giving should also grow. In fact, Paul says you should increase in, in this gift also. He actually uses that language. Keep increasing in generosity, too. It should be something that grows with us every year uh, as opposed to, yeah, we hit our, we hit our number, great, uh, instead of saying every January, could we give more this year? I mean, what a different attitude because, yeah. again, there's a vision and a mission out there to reach the world, and that's a little more important than having a few more channels on the cable options or whatever. I remember, um, I don't know if you got to hear this, but um, when Robert Emmett was the pastor at Community Bible, something he taught, you know, when you go to restaurants, you know, if you can afford to go to a restaurant, you can afford to to paying the The tip. That's right. It's part of going to the restaurant. It is, yeah. And if you go without paying the tip, shame on you kind of thing. Yeah, Well. You know, and I always paid at the time, you know, 15% because that's what they say or mm-hmm. whatever. But then he started talking about it. As God has blessed you, you need to pay 20% to these mm-hmm. people because they don't make. Mm-hmm. And, if God, and so I thought about God has really blessed us, so us and up it to 20. You and know? for most meals, that might be an extra dollar or two. It's, it's, not, exactly. a big, yeah, it's not a big yeah. increase. So basically, and so that became automatic. Yeah. You want to be the person that they fight over to have you at their table. That's what you want. If you're, if you're that generous, like, oh, I want him at my table. <laughs> and in Moldova... We go to we go to this there's this restaurant across from where Radu and Luda live, and so we went there and so I was going to give fifteen twenty percent. Oh no, that's way too much. Well, what do you give here? Five. Well, I'm not going to give five. Yeah. So I gave ten percent. Well, we walked in the next day. There's the there's the <laughs> waiter runs over. Come over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because exactly. I guess that they don't tip. You you blew them away. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to read a passage in sure. Matthew. Jesus is uh, talking at the um, Sermon on the Mount. And I know that this passage is taken out of context because there's a lot of people that look at the Greek end of things in the New Testament. And we have to realize Jesus was a Jew. He spoke to Jews. And a lot of times he probably spoke in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And he used a lot of Hebrew uh, teaching and and parables and things like that. Anyway, in Matthew chapter 6, um, he, he starts talking about money and savings and, and things like that. And, you can, and uh, this particular verse, these two verses, it's 22 and 23. This is what he says. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness. How great is that darkness? And what I have heard traditionally, and not just from pastors or teachers, even in, in, in my universities, 
uh, I heard that, that, you know, the eye has to do with being a good person, and therefore if your eye, if you're good, what you, in your eye, you're good all over. And as, as I've left college, I started reading more Old Testament, more Hebrew stuff, I realized when he's talking about the eye is good, that the whole body is good, he's talking about being generous. Mm. It's a parable in, in Hebrew. Mm. In fact, I was reading more that um, a good eye, literally, in, in Hebrew means uh, being generous. And a bad eye means being stingy. Mm. Almost like the difference between this, the, the squinty, stingy <laughs> person versus a sparkly-eyed, smiling, joyful yeah. person. Yeah. And the Hebrew wording in there is really interesting. But this is stuck in between passages mm. of money mm-hmm. both ways. So we're talking about generosity, obviously, here. Mm. Not about being a good person, mm. but being generous or being stingy. Mm. So I think it's important that, that it's all through the Bible. It really is all through the Bible. I mean, you go back to Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and it talks about generosity, you know, in a very humongous ways. In, in Proverbs, it's huge. The, se- the second biggest theme in the Bible is God's heart for the poor. Yeah. 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 In, <laughs> fact, in fact, I have a, 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 in Leviticus, this is really interesting. Uh, it says here in Leviticus 25, 35 to 37, If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him th- as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Mm-hmm. Take no interest from him or profit, mm-hmm. but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at an interest. Mm-hmm nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be Mm. your God. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, the Old Testament, he's really strong about what he's saying here. And and to the point where in Proverbs, there's, there's promise, both positive and negative. Right. If you're if you're generous, you, there's a blessing. Mm-hmm. If you're not, there, there's like a curse. It's, they didn't say curse, but you know, it's mm-hmm. going to befall you that mm-hmm. something's bad that's mm-hmm. not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get you get the the Old Testament idea of, of rounding off the corners of your field so that the, the widows. The whole idea of the Book of Ruth is that they're Ruth. gathering the, the sheaves. Even in First Timothy, the idea of taking care of widows in the church. Same idea that that their family should take care of them first, which mirrors what you read. Uh, and if the family can't, then as long as they're as long as they're living for God righteously, the church should step in and take care of them. That no one falls through the cracks. That everyone's taken care of. Uh, Tony Campolo had a pretty uh, blistering rebuke for us because there are some people that will say um, well, the government has no business in taking care of the poor. That should be the church's job and nonprofits. Like we shouldn't have to pay our taxes for things like welfare things. And Tony said that might be a great argument if you actually saw the church as being generous toward taking care of the poor. But when you give away 2% of the, of the 98% and you keep the rest, I don't think I'm going to trust you with taking care of the poor. What a, what a rebuke yeah. for us to think of that. If we actually were doing what we should be doing biblically, a huge portion, again, of our, of our budget should go to missions and another huge portion should go to benevolence and truly blessing people. Um, some people put that in the same category, but you get the point. Uh, and yet again, we spend it on ourselves, on making things look nicer and bigger and whatever. Uh, and so he's he's got a great point. If you want to argue this, then you better be living this. And, and a lot of places just don't. Yeah. Well, you're familiar with uh, Carlos Castanero, mm-hmm. okay, in his church. His friend, yeah. I don't know if uh, how you've kept up with him, but uh, during this pandemic, 
their church got together, and their church got smaller because after they left and got on their own in this little place. But they felt a calling to help their community, not necessarily just the people within. Right. Now, they, I know these people don't have a lot of money. I know this. Mm-hmm. However, I was on the board. Mm-hmm. So um, what was really interesting is that they got together and they started put, pulling together not only uh, food from their own stuff, mm-hmm. but they started going to resources mm-hmm. and stores and, mm-hmm. and businesses asking for help. Mm-hmm. So on every Friday, mm-hmm. they would give away a box, wow. 120 of them a week. Wow. Okay, and there's 120 people. Exactly, that's the size of the church, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they would give 120, and it'd be a gallon of milk, a carton of eggs, a yeah. thing of cheese. Yeah. I mean, things that you they could use for mm-hmm. a week mm-hmm. for eating. Mm-hmm. You know, salad, I mean, everything. It was just amazing. Pineapples, mm-hmm. you know, fruit, vegetables. And it was amazing what they did. And this truly... His generosity, yeah, and that's a, that's a, that's his heart as a pastor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it is. great family, yeah. great family. It is an amazing family. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that it's it's important. I, there's a verse also. And I don't. Want, I want to get your take on this because okay. I think generosity also lends itself into mercy, mm-hmm. into love, into empathy. Mm-hmm. But there's a passage in First John chapter okay. four, eleven and twelve, and I know we don't think of it in this ter- these terms, but I want to ask, ask, get your opinion on this. It says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Mm. My thinking is, when you said it's a mindset of lifestyle, Mm -hmm. I thought a lot about, really, Royce, I thought Mm -hmm. a lot about that. It wasn't just, let's Mm -hmm. talk about generosity. Mm -hmm. I want to, I thought, you know what, where does a mindset come from? But for the very core of Jesus, which, mm-hmm. what is it all about? Holiness. It's all about love. Well, we, yeah. We're giving of ourselves in time. We're giving of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're actually loving one another. Mm-hmm. When we're giving of, of our, anything out of our pocket, we're loving one yeah. another. How do you see this verse fitting yeah. in your That's scenario? great. Um, you know, there's the four Greek words for love, and, and, and agape is the one that, that is mostly used in the New Testament. Oh, pretty about, whatever, 90% of the time or so. And agape is, is others first, self-sacrificing love. It's what Jesus did for us. Almost all the major verses, John three sixteen, God so agape uh, that he gave his only son. So we, we, we see the idea of loving, loving one another, and that's what Jesus said. All people know you're my disciples if you have love for one another, John thirteen thirty five. So love uh, is, is, is generosity shown, showing itself that I'm truly going to lay down my life and give you this. Uh, Chip Ingram has a great definition of that. He says, uh, love is giving someone what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost. And he yeah. bases that off Romans 5.8, that Christ uh, demonstrates his love. God demonstrates his love for us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that picture of, of love is, is a sacrifice. Uh, and it's a choice that I make to sacrifice. It's a commitment um, to, to see someone as valuable in the image of God. And, again, it could be a sacrifice even if they don't deserve it. Um, some people say, well, I don't want to help the homeless. I don't want to help the poor because they probably earned their way there. They made bad decisions. It's their own fault. They're on drugs. So I'm not going to help them because they messed up their life. Why should I have to bail them out? Jesus would say, what, what does love look like? Um, you were in sin, and I came and saved you, so don't start judging someone else. Let's just be merciful and loving. And, and that's just what we have to do. Yeah. Well, see, and, and, and agape love, I mean, basically it's giving of ourselves mm-hmm. without anything in expectation That's of right. return. That's right. 
And um, I know that can, I believe it's in James where he, where it talks about, you know, when somebody's in need, don't just say, I'll pray for you and walk away. <laughs> I mean, when Jesus was here, he didn't just come and preach salvation. I mean, if people think that, they have not read their Bible. He went there, saw that they were hungry, and what did he do? He fed them. I mean, he met their needs. And, and so I think that if he's our perfect example, this is what we need to follow. Not that, oh, I'll pray for you and walk away, then we never do. Yeah. I mean, on top of that. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, they, they listen because he had already met a physical need they had, and so then they could listen to the spiritual part. And the same is true for us. We, oh, exactly. earn, we earn the right to be heard by our, by our sacrificial service. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's so, so important. Um, we have a couple more scriptures I want to read sure. and get your opinion on it. In Proverbs, it says this. There's two of them in the same chapter, chapter 21. And the first one is in 13, and it says, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Mm. Now, here's a promise, but it's negative, you know. <laughs> so if we're going to turn, turn away from the poor, I mean, then God is going to turn away from us. Yeah. There's, I mean, a stingy heart produces people that don't want to be around you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And yet down mm. in verse 26 of the same one, it says, All day long he craves for more, but the righteous... Give without sparing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. some are going to just live in that consuming, I want to have the newest, best, whatever thing, uh, and yet to give without sparing. The, it's it's the, the heart that, again, instead of saying, how much of my money do I get to keep, how much can I possibly give away? It's it's a really different mindset. Yeah. It really just comes down to if, if God were to lay out, pick your you know, $10, $1 bills, and he, and he says, this is yours now. How much of it would you give back to me? And if we just said none or, here, you can have this one back, I think it'd disappoint him. You know, again, that's why I don't talk about tithing as much. It's just like, how much can I give back? God's entrusted all of this to me. Why am I going to say, I get to keep all of this and go buy stuff? That's not, that's not the intention. It's, it's give, 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 give. Yeah. Now, I know that attending um, the years that I attended uh, Community Bible from Nineteen ninety nine was it or two thousand? Maybe it was two thousand till when Robert left. Was it two thousand sixteen? Fifteen, yeah, fifteen. Fifteen, so 15. fifteen years, right in there. I know that he spent one sermon a year on tithing on money, but he spent many Sundays and other times talking about giving and helping. Mm-hmm. In fact, mm-hmm. he built his church. Uh, everybody wondered how did it be so big. Well, you know what he did was he honored the people who became leaders right. and called them ministers mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. gave to them and then fed us and gave mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, he uplifted that, yeah. which I think is a part of the generosity idea because people don't always like to do things, especially if they're not thanked for it or they don't yeah. feel, well, it gets welcomed. I mean, the Ephesians 4 idea of equipping the saints for works of ministry, if you turn people loose, then they're, they're thrilled, they're happy, they're doing what God made them to do, they're working in their giftedness. Uh, and they want to be a part of a church like that. Yeah. So I think that, that really helped the church grow from 80 people to 20,000 yeah. people. I really do. Um, there, there's a lot there that's given into the fact that, you know, uh, Robert was generous in in his giving of himself. Mm-hmm. You know, And I think that, that goes true with everything in, in all that we do. Um, one more, one more proverb I want to read. It's uh, chapter fourteen, verse thirty-one, and I think you like this. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, mm. but whoever is kind to the needy 
honors God. Mm. Yeah, we uh, almost all Jesus talks about the you know the idea of leadership when he talks about the the, the rulers of this world lorded over their people. That it's this whole idea of how can I climb to the top of the heap and step on whoever I have to step on to get what I want to get and grab my piece of the pie. And so there's that picture. And then James comes along later in the New Testament and says, weep and howl, you rich, for the miseries which are coming upon you. That there's this, if you adopt that mindset that I'm here to get all I can get, James says, you have no idea how bad it's going to be for you because you don't know God. If that's all you care about is greed and consumption, you don't know God. And he says, you, and when he says weep and wail, he means terrified. You, you realize it's a picture saying you're not going to make it to heaven you don't know God. You don't. You don't trust Jesus as Savior. He's never changed your heart. You're not saved. You're going to hell. You get it all now while you can, because you're going to hell. And it's this terrifying picture of of what happens when that becomes your God of money that I'm going to serve this. Yeah, uh, it's terrifying to think of that. So yeah, there, God is not. He doesn't hold punches. Pull punches at all. It is. If, if this is what you choose, you're choosing an eternity without me, and it's terrifying to think of that. So. Uh, when you just see all the people choosing to live the way they live and the choices they make, it's really, really scary. And even even those of us that feel like we're trying to be generous, I feel rebuked often. I feel poked often by the Spirit saying, are you sure you want to do that now? Are you sure you want to spend that money? What about this? Is there anything else you can give it to that would be better for the kingdom for eternity? And so that's a constant, uh, not a battle, but it's a constant conversation that we need to be having with our spirit to, to make sure we're listening. Yeah. To be tilted toward generosity. Yeah. Well... Um, Good show. It it's been flew by. Good. It did go by. Flew I told by. you it would. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today. Um, and I pray about this in your own heart about generosity. I think that we, as Christian type people, fall short in the fact that you know we want to look at ourselves first, look out for ourselves first, look at number one first, which is ourself. And the Bible doesn't teach us that. It, it teaches us very differently that we need to look out for one another. And as we look out for one another, God will look out for us. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's in the scripture. It's, it's written that way. And mm-hmm. I think that once we understand that and comprehend that, mm-hmm. I think that will help bless our lives much mm-hmm. deeper and we'll be happier people. Yeah, make heaven crowded. That's oh, there goal. you go. <laughs> That's our goal. Anyway, thank you for joining me and uh, we'll see you next week. You have a wonderful week and aloha. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.